Welcome to Stories After Midnight. The story we'll be reading today is called It's All Fun and Games Until Your English Language Arts Class Can Hear Each Other's Thoughts by Trash Tia. I really hope you enjoy it, and a huge shout out to my patrons for helping make this episode possible. Let's get started. The men in black are definitely coming to dissect us. Imagine your own mind is no longer private. Your thoughts are out in the open, no longer just yours. A constant stream of consciousness slamming into your skull. A simple thought multiplying, erupting inside your head with enough pressure to almost knock you off your chair. The men in black are definitely going to dissect us. Ten individual and equally irritating voices hit me like a wave of ice water, a rabid hive mind of thoughts creeping into the back of my mind. There was always an echo, a sharp reverberation rattling my skull, like phantom fingers poking at my brain. Sitting in front of my college dean, my gaze on the grains of her desk, it took everything in me, grasping hold of the upholstery of my chair and digging the heels of my shoes into the carpet, not to let out an audible cry. Ten voices, ten thoughts, ten sensations, screaming into my skull at the same time. I would compare it to a nuclear bomb going off. I could never pick out one thought, so it was either all of them or none of them. Sam's thoughts often repeated, and Liam's were too quiet. Josie screamed, and Blair was unintentionally painful. Sometimes voices entangled into one single string, a singularity so powerful, I was well aware of blood dripping from my nose. I tentatively pressed the sleeve of my jacket over my nose. Liam and Freddy were the human embodiment of dentist drills, and it was their words, their tangled inner shrieks, that were trying to rip me apart. The men in black were definitely here to dissect us. Dean Carter had a framed photo of a kitten on her desk. I focused on that. On her desk, photos of smiling children and a dog with a squeaky toy lodged into its mouth. Until my brain stopped bouncing around, I managed to exhale when, finally, it stopped. Fading into that same white noise of voices, I still couldn't untangle no matter how hard I tried. Mr. Ann. Dean Carter's low murmur was a relief. Actual speech, opposed to whatever the hell we were. Are you alright? Swallowing a hiss, I nodded. Yes, I said. But could I ask why I'm here? Dean Carter's smile was strained. Uh, Lana, we just want to talk to you. I nodded, sweat beating down my neck and back. That's fine, I spoke coolly, holding my concentration. The white noise shrieking stopped, though I still couldn't sense the eleventh and twelfth voices missing from that spider web inside my head. I gestured toward the deep, blue-colored door on the other side of the room, which hadn't moved in a while. But isn't it illegal to trap your students in the supply closet? Her expression didn't waver. They're fine. The muffled cries we both heard said otherwise. Dean Carter's smile crumpled a little. They don't sound fine. Cocking her head, she changed the subject, of course, back to me. Lana, is there something on your mind? I wasn't sure how to answer that. Suddenly, developing telepathic abilities wasn't the strangest part of my day. In fact, the telepathy part isn't new. It's been going on for several weeks. Getting questioned by my college dean, who was definitely suspicious of us, was new. 
Weirdly enough, our college has always been at the center of strange happenings and disappearances that couldn't be explained. While the student body couldn't explain them, anyone with half a brain could. In 2017, a freshman girl dropped off the face of the earth with no trace. In 2022, a group of students now infamous for their campus podcast, Know-It-All, told the story of their apparent trip into the 1980s after slipping through a crack in time in the old student lounge. Their wild story garnered so much attention that some kids had decorated it in fairy lights, penning it a gateway. I guess if someone really wanted to dig into these events, the 2017 disappearing freshman and the student lounge being a gateway to the 1980s, they would find semi-plausible explanations for both. The guys were probably on some type of high and had some mass hallucination, and the girl dropped out of school without telling anyone. There. The unexplained was now the explained. One look at CCTV footage showed the girl leaving campus in the middle of the night. Mystery solved. However, there was actual credibility to some of these happenings. Such as Tommy Phelps. I think I spoke to him once or twice. Casual conversation. He was a nice guy, a bit of a cinephile, a twinge of an Aussie accent, and slightly on the pretentious side. In my freshman year, just two months into the semester, Tommy claimed he was kidnapped and experimented on. Something had definitely happened to him. Kidnapping was possible, given the state of the kid, but the boy's eyes were wide, unseeing, half of his hair shaved off. He stumbled into class one day, insisting his mind had been messed with, and he couldn't remember anything except walls of glass. I remember that class vividly. It was my first time feeling real proper fear. The type that creeps up on you. A phantom snake winding its way around my throat. I watched a normal level-headed boy completely break apart, dropping to his knees and rocking back and forth. What he was wearing confused me. An ancient college sweatshirt and a crumpled pair of shorts. It was the college gym clothes, but Tommy didn't go near the sports department. Everyone was paying attention to the markings on his face, noticeable stitches on the back of his head, while I was frowning at Tommy's clothes. Known for his stark taste in clothing, often flaunting waistcoats or tweed jackets with elbow patches, sportswear was definitely different. Not to mention the gym clothes were ancient. Why would he be wearing an outdated sweater dating back to the early 2000s? His feet were bare, pointing to him being in captivity. Please, staggering through the doorway, his steps were clumsy, topsy-turvy. When he hit the ground on his stomach, our startled-looking professor ran out of the room yelling for help. Please, help me. Tommy. Rhea Martinez dropped onto her knees in front of him. Rhea had the kind of face you automatically wanted to trust. Her eyes were kind. Light brown hair framing a heart-shaped face. She was gentle, tracing the tips of her fingers across his cheek. He wouldn't let her fully touch him, shaking his head rapidly, letting out a soft moan when she firmly placed her hands on his shoulders. Tommy, what happened? I don't know. I don't know, he whispered, frenzied eyes meeting hers. I got... I got away. Rhea nodded slowly. Got away from where? Tommy's eyes widened, his lips splitting into a cry. So loud. He slammed his hands over his ears. Why are you so, why are you so, so, so loud? Tommy, Rhea said softly. No, 
No, get off me. Get away from me. Tommy's words were nonsensical and tangled, hands clawing clumps of his hair, something about a room of glass and his head being probed and poked at. As he spoke, the boy's sanity bled away, his eyes widening with mania, terror, lips twisting into a snarl, and then a twisted grin, followed by three words that have been analyzed by every amateur journalist on campus. I witnessed them firsthand. Fred, Tommy spoke through his teeth. His gaze was frantic, trying to find a face he could trust. Rhea was already backing away, stumbling over herself. I don't think he really saw any of us, shuffling into the wall like a wild animal. Wrapping his arms around his knees, Tommy continued, rocking back and forth like he was lulling himself to sleep. Gemini, his voice rose into an animalistic cry, and the boy's body seemed to react, his expression going flat, arms falling to his sides. When his eyes rolled back to pearly whites, I turned away, a sour bile filling my mouth. But I still heard him in vivid clarity, his tone bleeding of emotion. Norbrook. The last words slipped from the boy's lips, and when I twisted around, his head was lolling to the side, deep red rivulets running from his nose. Nor. Brook. He spoke like he was tasting the words, his body rattling like it was reacting. Tommy's head snapped up and through vacant eyes he peered at us like a confused child, frowning at his blood-slicked hands. Red. He made a fist. Gemini. When Tommy turned to look at us again, his eyes flickered, like he was waking up, emotion igniting his face. Nor? Brooke? Everyone had their own version of what happened that day through word of mouth. Some idiot said Tommy started giggling hysterically, while the head of the college newspaper published that he held us hostage with a box cutter. The most popular and talked about version was that Tommy Phelps attacked a student like an animal, but that's just the sensationalized version. People wanted to believe he was violent because that was interesting. It got likes and comments. It got kids talking, making more rumors and adding to the fire, igniting fear of a viral outbreak and a new strain of rabies. The thing is, though, that reality wasn't nearly as horrifying as the rumors made it out to be. Tommy didn't attack anyone. Blinking rapidly and seemingly himself again, he reached out blindly, shaking with terror. For a disorienting moment, his expression bled coherency despite empty eyes staring straight through us. So much so that part of me wanted to believe what he was saying. His hands were caked with dirt, clawing at us. I noticed the nails on his index, pinky and thumb had been pulled off. Help me, he whimpered, when security dragged him from the room. Tommy erupted into hysterics halfway down the hallway, those same three words coming out in sharp, heavy breaths, his body violently squirming, kicking and screaming, his voice growing louder, more desperate. Red, he spluttered, choking on the word like it suffocated him. I glimpsed red splatter on the floor. Gemini! Tommy's voice tripped up, his body going limp. The guard wrestling with him threw the boy over his shoulder. We watched silently as the door slammed on the boy, but I could still hear his slurred cry bouncing off the walls. Nor, Brooke. Tommy didn't come back to class after that. He did, however, make a cryptic social media post saying, I was high on cocaine, lol. When the guy was a top student, I never touched the stuff. Sure, we could buy it if we really wanted, but after listening to multiple episodes of Know-It-All, 
I knew the hosts had not only proved the social media post was fabricated, but also had stalked his dorm, which had been mysteriously emptied, his roommates also MIA. In episode 12, they revealed Tommy's parents had randomly uprooted their life in Southern California and moved to Australia. The college brushed all of this under the rug. However, know-it-all asked them to comment and were swiftly threatened with a stubborn shutdown and forced to make the podcast private. So, I count Tommy's state and disappearance an actual strange occurrence on campus. The conspiracy nut part of me wondered if the college was purposefully over-exaggerating the easily explained to cover up the unexplainable. There was no big mystery, and these so-called strange happenings were just vocalized to make our mediocre community college actually look interesting, while the actual unexplained events, i.e. the infamous Red, Gemini, Norbrook, were ignored. Why don't you apply to Hollingwood University? We have disappearing students and cracks in space and time. Forget about the, uh, the whispers about the boy who actually went missing. Have you ever actually wanted to fall directly into 1985? Our student lounge is a portal. What couldn't be explained in any logic, sense, or aspect, however, was my English language arts class simultaneously developing telepathy out of nowhere. You could argue that it wasn't completely out of nowhere, considering the already weird things going on around campus. But for us, this was new. It was weird and confusing, and none of us had any idea how it happened. Nothing connected us. There were no secret experiments, and we hadn't signed up for the shady after-hours classes or been caught up in an explosion. Nope. Two months ago, I fell asleep with a mostly empty head and woke up to a hurricane of painful white noise I couldn't stop or control. It felt like my brain was being cooked alive. When I opened my eyes... My pillow was covered in blood, my lips and chin dripping in smeared scarlet. I stood up and my body wouldn't work, tipping onto the side. My housemate was already in class. It was the TV, I thought dizzily, blinking colors from my eyes. That noise, it had to be the TV, surely. But the TV wasn't on. The TV was never on because who watched TV anymore? I thought I was going crazy, seriously. I called the doctor. Kneeling on my bathroom floor with my forehead pressed to the cool porcelain of my toilet. I can hear things, I croaked out. I need you to get it out of my head, now. Miss Duran, could you please repeat that? Her lack of interest in the call boiled my blood. I said, I gritted through my teeth. I think. Squeezing my eyes shut somehow made the pressure worse. Spiraling colors in my eyes and the worst damn migraine imaginable. I did everything to combat it. I laid down in a dark room, but the stream of noise in my head grew louder, TV static buzzing in the root of my brain. I'm going crazy. I could barely hear the receptionist over the constant, never-ending screech in my head. I was still speaking, my lips moving, curving and curling and forming words I couldn't even hear. Do you hear me? I had to screech to hear the slightest fragments of my own voice bleeding into my ears. I'm going crazy. I grabbed at my hair, hysterical, clawing at my scalp. There's something in my head. I sobbed, burying my face into the cool silk of my pajama shorts. There's something there. I can feel it. I was well aware of how messed up I sounded, and I kept stabbing at my temple. The pain was helping me visualize it perfectly. I could feel them, 
sense them, tiny bugs writhing into the meat of my brain, razor-sharp teeth gnawing into the tumor-sized cavern they had already chewed. There, I hissed over the whistling that had started up, digging deep down into the root of my skull. It's right there. Miss Duran, I'm not sure what you mean. Throwing my phone down, I found myself half-conscious, blinking down at the sharpest knife I could find, standing in front of my bathroom mirror. I was deathly pale, almost a greenish color, my hair glued to my forehead with sweat. It was never going to stop, the light show of colors dancing in my eyes, my blurry vision contorting the world around me into a slowly collapsing pinprick. I wasn't aware I'd successfully broken skin until sharp beads of red slid down my wrist. I couldn't feel it, the stinging pain of the blade slicing into my flesh. I couldn't feel the twist of my gut, the sour-tasting barf bridging the back of my throat. All I could feel was the thrumming, the bang, bang, bang on the back of my skull, like someone was knocking. I was dazedly staring down at the knife, cinched between my fingers, when it stopped. I dropped to my knees when the pressure on my head lifted just slightly, a single drop of red splashing onto the tiled floor, followed by a voice so casual, so clear, I thought they were standing behind me. Okay, so if I buy three packs of chips, a Coke, and leave like $15 for gas, I should be good? Dad is picking me up in the evening for that uh, football game, and I need to think of an excuse not to meet him after. I can't miss Simon's 30th. When I turned my head, there was nobody there. I was kneeling in my bathroom in front of piles and piles of bloody tissue paper and my toil seat stained, revealing red. The voice continued, a foreign feeling growing in my head, seeping into my bones. I'm cold. The voice hit me again, this time like a brick to the face. Should I wear a jacket? Nah, no, nah, I'm, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Before I could stop myself, I was diving to unsteady feet and clamoring out of the bathroom and down the stairs. Just as I thought, the stranger inside my head was getting louder. I reached the front door, sticking my head out into the early morning sunlight, and there he was. Ah, it's cold. I should have worn a coat. Mom was right. His voice slipped into static once more, before drifting back into fruition. And anyway, it's not like the sex is bad. It was just a normal guy cruising down the sidewalk, clad in a suit and tie, hair slicked back. He looked like a recent graduate. The guy walked past my house and offered me a shy smile, but I noticed the strain in his expression. He quickly turned away, his lip curling. Is that girl okay? Was that blood? Ah, dang. Did she need me to call someone? The guy risked a look back before turning back around. No, I'm late. Probably a nosebleed. He stopped for a moment, pretending to check his phone. Why is she staring at me? Damn, do I have crap on my face? The guy's voice didn't disappear until I was standing under my shower spigot, blasting cold water on my face. And even when it did, another tangle of sharp consciousness dug its way into the back of my mind, a single voice bleeding from the hurricane of noise. Hannah needs to get her head out of his ass, because he's playing her like a damn... Staring down at the shower drain, at red-tinged water, the voice skipped again. This time a woman. I couldn't tell where it was coming from. Outside? Across the road? This thing worked like a cell phone, bleeding in and out of the network. I don't think I can deal with today, 
the woman sighed. I should have had more sleep, but that spider on the wall could be anywhere, and I'm... So good? A frat boy sounding guy this time. And this time she pulled out. Light. This time a southern accent pierced my skull. I'm late. Jess is going to kill me. Then a teenage girl's violent hiss that might as well have been the curved age of a blade sticking into my cortex. How many times is she going to do this? How many snaps is she going to ignore? She's a petty, childish, damn... The voices kept skipping until I stuffed in earphones and cranked up the volume. Music didn't help, but it did soothe slightly. The voices were still there, but I could drown and out with screamo. Officially, the phenomenon I was going through was telepathy. I googled it, just to make sure. Telepathy, also known as mind reading, is the supposed communication of thoughts and ideas by means other than the known senses. Mind reading had always sounded cool in the movies, but actually having it is the equivalent of someone implanting a radio into the back of your head. It's not like I could control it. The second I stepped onto campus and removed my earphones, the rush of noise came back, slamming into me, this time in a hiss of incomprehensible voices and an explosion I could feel in the backs of my eyes. The pressure of several thousand voices brought the pressure back tenfold. Different tones, accents, languages and volumes. People think loudly, and they don't even realize they're doing it. Thinking, to anyone else, is normal. To me, it's a tsunami. I had a semi-plan. I would try and tolerate my first class, and if it was too much, escape to the nurse's office off of campus and beg for an MRI. There had to be a logical explanation to why I was hearing people's thoughts, and why they were so loud and intrusive. I had heard of medical phenomenons that even top scientists couldn't explain. Some girl had woken up speaking Mandarin despite not knowing the language. So these things did happen. It was just rare. Keeping my earphones corked in, I stepped into English language arts. I wasn't expecting to bump into a congregation of my classmates standing around a table. I glanced to the front and immediately put me on guard. Where was Professor King? Standing a few feet away was Jordan Maine, an ex-host of Know-It-All. The others kicked him out when he suggested spying on Tommy's family was insensitive. As usual, Jordan's expression was annoyed, his features prickling with irritation. His hair was an untidy mop of dark curls and standing in a crumpled pajama shirt over well-worn jeans. I noticed he wasn't as put together as usual. His camera, also an extension of his identity, was nowhere to be seen. I don't think I'd ever seen the guy looking so disheveled, like he had just crawled straight out of bed. There was a subtle tension in his posture, with the way he was rocking back and forth on his heels. When he caught my eye, I realized the others weren't speaking. The entire class were half-dressed, odd socks and tousled hair, jackets half-thrown on. The only one who wasn't joining in was Harry Astor, hiding at the back of the classroom. What's going on? I spoke out loud over my screamo music. Jordan didn't speak, instead motioning for me to remove my headphones. I'm good, I said, forcing a smile that hurt my head. Where's Professor King? His lip curled and again motioned for me to remove my music. I did, after glimpsing the smear of dark red crusting his nostril. Uncorking my ears, the sensation slammed into me, this time a physical wave almost knocking me off my feet. I could hear them, all of them, a tangled wave of screaming slicing into my skull. 
Jordan's hands pressed down on my shoulder when I tried to back away, forcing me to face the others. Okay, try now. His voice slipped through the noise. Can you hear me? His lips weren't moving. Wide eyes glued to me. Something ice cold skittered down my spine. Jordan Maine was speaking directly into my mind. I nodded shakily, drinking in ten pairs of eyes staring at me. Testing, testing. Jordan's voice slipped into my thoughts and it was just his. From the other's expressions, Liam's lip curling and Min gritting her teeth, they could hear him too. Alright, so this works. It takes time to tune everyone out, but it works. You turn to Sierra Miller, the class's spokesperson. You were saying? Sierra rolled her eyes. Okay, yes. Congratulations, you stopped us from having an aneurysm. And folded her arms. But that's only if you're concentrating, right? So if you let go, the floodgates open and we get blasted. Jordan nodded, shrugging. Pretty much. I managed to speak with my mouth. But how? No idea. His voice boomed into my skull. Stop that. Sierra hissed out. You're going to blow my brains out. Telepathy. Jordan said out loud, instead, a shaky laugh escaping his lips. But there was a darkness to his tone, a hollow look in his eye. I couldn't help glimpse. That's cool. I knew the moment Jordan had lost control, because just like Sierra said, the floodgates flew open, a vicious stream of voices flooding into my skull. No, not just mine. Everyone's. And that was two months ago, and we still hadn't gotten the hang of it. Three days ago, I was trying to talk to my friend, already jittery from our professor's sudden disappearance, which happened to be the same day that 12 of us developed telepathy. Two months had passed, and there was no sign of him. With us being Professor King's students, we were the prime suspects. Allison was talking about a TV show or something, but her real voice was lost inside the sea of noise scrambling inside my head. I was getting better at tuning people in and out, but it was still a challenge. The buzzing stream of noise was particularly bad that morning, like someone had cranked it up to a hundred. I think I'm pregnant. Am I pregnant? I'm dropping out. This is too... I'm not happy anymore. Did I feed my cat this morning? No, I did. I definitely... And she's not even being subtle about it. It's painful. What an evil bitch. Lana... Bess's low murmur, barely scratching the surface of my mind, drifted into coherent mumbling when the doors to the main reception opened. Two men appearing. Immediately they drew attention. Men in black, literally. The two of them were heavily clad in crisp, black suits with matching sunglasses, exuding an air of authority and for the student body to move aside. Bess's mouth dropped open, her eyes wide. She pulled me to the side when they walked past. Do you think they're here for the Professor King case? I couldn't hear her voice, but I was getting good at lip reading when the swarm of voices drowned out real ones. I don't know, was all I responded with, my gaze snapping to Sierra down the hall, buried behind a mop of curls, and then Jordan standing with his friends, his head ducked, jaw clenched. He didn't stand out in the crowd like usual, wearing darker colors, hiding under his hood. I sensed the prickle of fear in the back of his head, his voice a soft... Hell, uh, don't, don't, please don't, please don't look at me, please don't look at me, please don't look at me. Sierra's expression was twitching, her gaze dropping to the ground when the men strode past her. Stay calm, Sierra's voice was a low murmur, 
a gentle prod into the meat of my brain. It's a routine visit, she paused. Probably, I mean, why else? Why else would they be here? A routine visit? Jordan's sharp Boston accent joined the wave. Since when do the men in black regularly draw by? Shut up, I managed to say. Both of you, just, just get off of the hallway. We're attracting attention to ourselves here. I was right. We couldn't have looked any less suspicious. I thought the men were heading toward the office, but they seemed to pivot at the last minute and directly toward me. Lana Duran? Lana, what did you do? Sierra's voice was like cymbals being crashed together. Al, they're here for us. They're going to slice us up and dissect us into tiny pieces. What did you do? Calm down, Jordan hissed out. But even he was skeptical. He was the next host of Know-It-All, after all. Tommy, I don't think he meant to say that, but his thoughts were no longer private. Could they be here about... Lana. The man's voice easily sliced through Jordan's mental cry, a prickle creeping down my spine, the physical presence that had become almost familiar to me which was Jordan and Sierra, was cut away, severed suddenly, enough to sting, and the silence in my head that followed was enough to unnerve me. The man's stance seemed to kill every other thought around me, a short circuit, leaving me alone inside my head for the first time in months, and suddenly, deeply, deeply lonely. Yes? I felt like I was speaking in tongues. Instinctively, my gaze snapped to Jordan and Sierra, who were no longer there, I blinked. The two of them had been spirited away, right in front of me. The world kept going around me, students bustling around and Bess gently nudging me, letting me know she was heading to class. Ten voices entered my mind this time, not twelve, and all of them were screaming at me. The man cleared his throat. Lana, I'm Agent Cassidy, this is Agent Powell. Would we be able to talk to you regarding a certain Professor Jason King? Don't worry. We're talking to everyone in your class, so call it A. The guy's voice slipped in and out of my ears, the cries in my head once again being drowned out. This time I did know the reason. Harry Astor was what we called a barricade. No matter what we did, none of us could hear him. His thoughts were null, nothing. A startling oblivion that was so stark, so deep, I kept my distance. His mind and thoughts were impenetrable. Afflicted with telepathic abilities like the twelve of us, Harry didn't take part in emergency meetings or hanging out. He wanted nothing to do with us. His mind was a vacuum, sucking in thoughts as he walked by with his head ducked. Mr. Ran, are you listening to me? I snapped out of it, my own mind detaching from the swarm of nothing which was Harry. Nodding, I let them escort me to the dean's office, only for them to disappear, leaving me stuck with her. Ten other voices followed, a confusing string of, Are we getting dissected? Oh god, are the men in black coming to dissect us? Are we being cut up? Jordan and Sierra were in the closet. I could sense them. Still couldn't hear them, though. When Dean Carter pursed her lips, I tried again. You have my friends locked in your supply closet, I said, and as if on cue, the door rattled, startling her from her chair. It hadn't really bothered me before, but now it felt significant. Why couldn't I hear my Dean's thoughts, too? That is none of your concern, Dean Carter relaxed. Where were you on the night of September 18th? Home, she hummed. And what were you doing at home? Lana, what's going on out there? Liam's hiss was prodding at my skull. 
I shoved him out. Sleeping, I said, which was true. I slept most of the night. She nodded. Alright, well, I have some visitors who would like to talk to you. The door opened, and once again the voices in my head were drowned out, severed by the duo's presence. It felt wrong, alien, a vicious vacuum bleeding into my skull. I didn't realize I was shuffling back on my chair until I had to force my feet into the ground to hold myself. The two of them could be differentiated by their faces. The one on the right had a smile that was almost friendly, while the one on the left was scowling. They asked me the same questions, and each time I felt myself starting to break apart, my facade crumbling. The two of them held themselves well, suave and confident, while I shattered under the weight of each question. I was trying to find Sierra and Jordan, that black hole of nothing, but they were gone. Physically, they were in the closet, but I couldn't find them. Mr. Rayon, were you aware your professor was conducting research into life after death? That caught me off guard. I meant to keep my gaze glued to the floor and mutter that I wanted a lawyer for each question, but that one in particular sent my head snapping up. What? Agent Powell, or the Scowler, nodded. In 2012, he was arrested for conducting unethical experiments on several volunteers, including sleep deprivation and intentional cardiac arrest. Professor King's medical license was suspended in 2017 under the name Professor David Castiel. His eyes were penetrating mine. Mr. Ann, have you witnessed anything you have not been able to explain? His words were eerily gentle. Strange lights, phenomena, or perhaps an affliction? I swallowed. The lamp on my dean's desk was suddenly too bright, too in my face. No? Agent Cassidy's smile widened. Lana, there's nothing to be afraid of. We can help you. I shook my head, my palms clammy. No, I haven't seen anything. Sorry. The two exchanged glances. Lana, are you aware Jordan Main and Sierra Nicholson were in possession of your professor's phone and ID? I tried to keep my expression nonchalant. No? Powell pushed harder. How about DNA that matches your professor underneath Sierra Nicholson's bed? No. This time I didn't sound sure of myself. I thought they were finished, but the two just stood up. Powell turned to me with a sigh. I'm not sure at what point it was when my brain exploded, but both men didn't seem phased by the sudden shrieking in my head. There was a steel rod cracking through my skull and stirring my mind into a soupy mess. I was on my knees before I could stop my body's knee-jerk reaction, pinning me to the ground. It was worse than every voice put together. A hellish banshee wail, bleeding into my head that was so powerful, so painful. Warm, wet redness seeped from my mouth and nose, swimming in my ears. Not just voices, but emotions, sensations, slamming into me in a wave. I heard them. All of them. Thousands of mental cries pouring into my skull. Pressing my head into the carpet, I was aware I was screaming, but my own cry was an all, drowned out. Across the room, two voices slipped into my consciousness, entangled in wrong and poisoned harsh enough to rip from my own lips. I was on my feet, stumbling toward the closet, and then backward when they hit full throttle. Red, Gemini, Norbrook. Jordan and Sierra's voices were lower, a synchronized thrum drained of emotion. Red, Gemini, Norbrook. There was something horrifyingly permanent about those words not coming from their lips. 
but astray in their minds, loose thoughts finally hitting me. Ms. Duran, it's okay, we're, we're trying to help you. Now if you could tell us where Agent King is. Agent Powell was behind me trying to talk to me, but I was screaming, trying to push all of the voices out, and those three words were already threading through me. Before they could, I managed to get out. The last thing I saw was Powell grabbing Sierra and Jordan, who were like dolls, limp, dropping into the ground. Red, Gemini, Norbrook. Their eyes were empty, but their lips moved. Red, Gemini, Norbrook. Before those words could swamp me too, I slammed the door behind me. I was back in the hallway and there was silence. A silence that almost knocked me off my feet. It was a familiar silence, a void I almost craved. He was close. Harry Astor was standing at the vending machine, his fingers lingering on the diet soda button. The closer I got to him, I expected that void of nothing. Instead, however, a voice entered my skull, sharp, like the blade of a knife protruding inside my head. Skin them alive, dismembering them one by one. His voice was almost a manic laugh. Not natural. His whisper was violent. Not natural. Not natural. Not natural. I'll stop it. I'll make sure it stops. I promised them. I promised him. He stabbed at the soda button, his other hand clawing at his arm, fingernails scratching at his skin until it bled. I'll, I'll stop it. His expression remained nonchalant. I'll slice up every part, every organ, brain, heart, everything. Nothing is left. He stabbed at the button again, impatiently, the spider web of insanity growing and growing, leeching itself to me like a virus. My legs buckled when I felt, sensed, the cold ice. I was somewhere hollow, devoid of light and warmth. There was freezing, cold concrete beneath me, something wet and sticky spreading around my head. I wasn't moving. My lips were numb and it was so dark, swirling, black, suffocating me. I could feel others next to me, lumps of flesh piled underneath like dolls, voices in my head crying out, mangled, begging for mercy. Something cold and cruel slipped into the back of my neck in one single stroke, and then again, cutting, slicing through muscle and bone. His heavy breaths tickled my flesh. The knife plunged in again, this time severing my arms, a chunkier, thicker blade for my torso. I felt his hands slick with my blood, my insides staining him, dripping and smeared on his apron. I sensed him stuffing me in a bag, careful to pile the chunks of me so I would fit. His heavy breath when he lifted the bag and I weighed it down. The splash of my remains, our remains, hitting deep water, sinking deep, deep down. I still heard them frightened whispers grazing my being. I existed at the bottom of the lake, swallowed in the dark, and I existed as splattered lumps of flesh inside Harry Astor's bathroom, dissolving in a tub full of acid, glued to white porcelain and clinging to the drain. I was still thinking, sensing, drinking things in. I had no body, no brain, and thoughts still poured inside my consciousness, that endless, relentless hissing. Buzzing, screeching, it never ends. This thing I have, it will never stop. Clang, 
The diet soda can finally dropped down, the vending machine beeping loudly. Harry Astor stuck his hand through the flap, grabbed it, and cracked it open. He took a long gulp, his thoughts still latched onto me. He was going to murder me, dismember my body, dump me in a river, and then destroy my remnants in acid. And I will keep going. Keep thinking, screaming into the abyss, tied to this thing. I was still standing in my college hallway, my stomach heaving. Harry was gone by the time I'd managed to get a hold of myself. The agents were gone, and so were Jordan and Sierra. My dean, of course, pretended they didn't exist, just like Tommy. We had a meeting earlier, this time off of campus. It doesn't make sense why just Jordan and Sierra were taken. They didn't kill our professor, right? Why would they kill him? The agents opened up my mind to Harry's thoughts, and then left. Do they know what he's going to do, or are they just as clueless as me? If they knew I was a telepath, surely I would be taken too. I don't know how to tell the others they're going to die. I start to tell them, but the words get stuck in my throat, because then I have to add on that they too are stuck like me, eternally awake, thinking. And I don't know how to tell them Harry will be the one to do it. I'm not going to die. I'm going to keep going. Even after I am brutally ripped apart by my psychotic classmate, I will keep going. I won't have an ending, a real, proper, peaceful slumber, a real death. I'm never going to die, and that terrifies me more than my inevitable murder. So yeah, to hell with telepathy. I really hope you enjoyed that story, and a huge shout out to Trash Tia for making wonderfully delightful stories. I really appreciate you for allowing me to read these magnificent things, and I look forward to what you have to write in the future. So, a huge shout out, because I know you're going to listen to this. I appreciate it. And a huge shout out to my patrons as well for making this episode possible. If you enjoyed it, I would love it if you'd leave a comment or like the video. Let me know what you thought. If you're on the podcast or somewhere else, I don't know what your options are, but hey, I just hope you enjoyed yourself. We do have a Discord. If you would like to come hang out and say hello, that would be wonderfully fantastic. But with all that said, I hope you enjoyed it. I know I said that three times and I'll say it even more. Have a great day and we'll see you in the next one.